0: From Wiss Politics in Madison, you're listening to Capital Chats. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a Wispolitics Capital Chats episode brought to you by Spectrum. Today, I'm joined in the office in Madison by my colleague Kate Morton to talk about an interview she just did with Senator Latonya Johnson, a Democrat from Milwaukee. So, Kate, what did you and Senator Johnson get to talk about?
1: Well, Adam, since Senator Johnson is a member of the Joint Finance Committee, one of the things we really touched on was these budget discussions. Um, As you know, Governor Tony Evers signed the budget uh, yesterday. We talked a little bit about the importance for her of this child care accounts funding to subsidize child care centers. She is a former child care provider. And we also talked a little bit about her frustrations with the way Milwaukee is kind of treated by the Legislature in particular, um, with those provisions in the shared revenue bill that specifically target her city.
0: All right, Kate, let's just get right into it then.
1: All right. Hello, Senator Johnson. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So, I just want to start off talking about some budget topics. I know you're a former child care provider, and Republicans in the Senate ended up cutting that out of the budget. So maybe you could talk about what that means and what could it, it could mean for the future of child care in Wisconsin.
2: So uh, Child Care Counts was essential to helping so many child care centers stay open during the pandemic. Um, what Child Care Counts did was it added extra revenue for those child care centers that were struggling during the pandemic. For so many childcare centers being open, that was key to our success because we saw so many frontline workers having to go to work. Now, quality childcare is essential for so many of the individuals that go to work on a daily basis in order to be successful um, in their industries. With the worker shortage, what we've heard from employers is that quality childcare is key to getting those individuals back engaged in the workforce. So, without childcare counts, we know that 87,000 slots, childcare slots, are, are slided to close. And the reason that they're slided to close is because childcare providers will have to raise their rates in order to accommodate for the rising costs. That means parents will be required to pay more money, which will make childcare unaffordable, which will cause more parents to stay home. And that's something that we just can't afford with the worker shortage that we're seeing right now. Unfortunately, that was stripped from the budget, and which is just extremely unfortunate because we saw so many things stripped from the budget that would have benefited our children from childcare counts to increasing um, the cost for public education, um, just increasing the cost for education altogether. And that was just, it was, it was, un- it's, it's just unfortunate.
1: Okay, I also want to touch on something education related. Um, Republicans also voted to cut $32 million from the UW system budget, specifically over diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, what do you think could be the consequences of that, especially now when we have the Supreme Court ruling related to affirmative action?
2: This is something that we're seeing, you know, state to state um, across the country. For some reason, my Republican colleagues, even Republicans across the country feel that diversity, equity, and inclusion creates further divides. And that's so far from the truth. It encourages inclusion. It encourages welcoming environments that will encourage more equity and more diversity among workforce. It's so important that we have those options to recruit more individuals of different ethnic backgrounds, religion, age, um, and which is something that we don't see often even in the legislature. And for them to attack that, those cuts to the UW system means that we are going to lose faculty. We are gonna have some programs cut We may even have some campuses closed, and that's unfortunate. Um, The UW system really stepped up to the plate this year. They offered the tuition promise, which um, was going to make education free for the first year for students whose parents made under $62,000. That was a game changer for low-income kids all across the state. Now they had enough money for the first year. It was the legislature's responsibility to fund those additional years if we wanted that program to be successful. We didn't do that. Now we're talking about a worker shortage. This was an opportunity for us to do something about that and invest long-term. We know that this worker shortage is only gonna be made more difficult through the year 2035 because the population is only going to continue to shrink And so we're gonna need to make those investments. The other thing that that does is that it keeps our children here. It keeps that talent here. It keeps those kids that are looking to go outside of the state for college. It keeps them right here in Wisconsin, which more than likely keeps them here after they finish college. It makes a more educated workforce, which brings in more innovation, better jobs, higher wages. It was a win-win for everyone, and it keeps more money in the pockets, especially for those low-income families, and we missed out on that opportunity, and that was unfortunate.
1: Yeah, I also want to touch on the shared revenue discussion. That's something that Governor Tony Evers recently signed into law, which had a number of policy provisions related to Milwaukee, where you represent, and so... I just wanted what are your response to those policies and what do you think the city should do specifically in regards to those diversity, equity, and inclusion policies?
2: Let me be clear about the provisions for the city of Milwaukee, and I do not want to mix my words. The city of Milwaukee has been treated like a second-class citizen for decades, and it has not gotten any better under the Republican leadership. <laughs> when testimony was given for some of the provisions for the city of Milwaukee, especially when it was talked about adding the additional fire, um, uh, fire and police officers, the reason for them requesting the additional police officers was because crime was spilling into the suburbs, not because Milwaukee had hardworking individuals that lived in that city, and they de- they deserved to live in good quality environments too, or that our children were being killed by gun violence almost on a daily basis, or that individuals who lived in Milwaukee were being shot on a daily basis, which is the reality of individuals who live in my district. In my district, I have five of the busiest fire departments, three of the busiest police departments, which means the bulk of the 911 calls are coming from my district. But to hear them literally say that they were requesting the additional police officers because the crime was spilling into the suburbs. Now, let me be clear. That was saying that as long as the crime continues to remain in the city of Milwaukee, they don't give a damn about my residence. And we are all elected to represent this state. Milwaukee is a part of this state. Milwaukee is the largest revenue generator. generator. We brought in $6.1 6, $6. billion for this state in tourism dollars, the Milwaukee area. billion, the city of Milwaukee by itself, and we are the second most impoverished city out of the top 50 U.S. cities. We did that on our backs, and we're being treated as a second-class citizen. And so when we talk about shared revenue, every other municipality got at least 20%. The city of Milwaukee got 10%. And I just said that we were the second most impoverished city. Now explain to me how that makes sense. And not to mention the city of Milwaukee is not the state's only first class city. Madison is also a first class city. It just hasn't declared itself as one because it does not want to be penalized the way that the city of Milwaukee does. And that says a lot. The provisions that are underscored for the city of Milwaukee are so punitive. The city of Milwaukee's um, operating budget is $721 million. Out of that $721 million, $300 million of that goes to the police, um, goes to police. $185 million of that goes to fire. That's 60% of our budget goes to just fire and police. There's no way that a city that houses 549,000 people can continue to operate on a budget that dedicates 60% of its operating capital to just fire and police. We were destined for insolvency and the state knows this. And the fact that we got less than our share in shared revenue. And we're being told that we need to lift ourselves up by our bootstraps. Knowing that even the 2% um, sales tax that we're being given is solely dedicated to public safety. And even outside of that, it's not gonna solve our deficit. It's, it's demeaning um, and it's it's demeaning. It's, it makes me angry. And um, it, it's extremely unfair. And I think it shows sincerely who the Republicans are. Now, in order for Milwaukee to continue to um, remain insolvent, we ha- in order for Milwaukee to continue to remain solvent, not insolvent, it has to live to fight another day. So we have to accept what we are given, unfortunately. But that doesn't mean that what we are given is OK. And I hope at some point that we will take some type of legal recourse to make sure that we are given exactly what we are due and that this will not be uh, be justified because it's not. And unfortunately, um, no municipality should have to sue in order to be treated fairly by the state. And unfortunately, that is just the place where the city of Milwaukee
1: is at. Okay, I also just want to touch on one more thing um, about Megan Wolf, the Wisconsin Elections Commission Administrator. Republicans are trying to move forward with her appointment. What was your reaction to that situation? Complete shock,
2: complete and total shock. The Republicans know exactly what that's about. They are trying to move forward with her appointment so they can unseat her. And that is unfortunate. Um, it's just unfortunate. <laughs> Complete and total surprise. We were all caught off guard. I sit on joint finance and I am ranking member. But we never know what the Republican amendments and joint finance is gonna be until five minutes before we vote. That's no way to govern. That doesn't give us enough time to know exactly what we're on. Aren't broken down. We don't get an opportunity to vote piece by piece. It's all collective. And of course they know what's in what's in the package. We don't but we're asked to vote yay or nay. And that's not how you govern. That's not fair to us. It's not fair to the constituents that we represent. Um, it, it, it's not a fair process. I looked at the individuals who showed up at the listening session, many of them getting there before 8 a.m. And in places like the city of Milwaukee, some of those individuals were there long past Um, almost 6 o'clock, to only be told at 6 o'clock it was the shutoff and they wouldn't get the opportunity to speak. But you had the same amount of time granted in much smaller communities, and we were able to leave before the time was even done. That says a lot about this process. It says a lot about my colleagues. It says a lot about what they consider to be fair. And it's unfortunate that we've gotten to this
1: Okay, well, Senator, I think that's all the questions I have. I appreciate your time. Thank you.
0: Well, thanks for bringing us that interview, Kate. It was wonderful to have Senator Johnson on the show. If our listeners want to check out more info about the budget or how the budget shaped up or what's in the budget or what's been cut out of the budget or how the whole process is going to shape up uh, coming into the rest of the year, they can head over to our website at wispolitics.com and check out the budget blog. But for now, I'm Adam Kelnover.
1: I'm Kate Morton.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Wispolitics Capital Chats, brought to you by Spectrum.